Coming up, I'm going to reveal the real reason that you feel unsatisfied with your life. And then, how a broken view of work, tension in the global workspace, is creating political tension. Exposing the matrix so that you can get out of the matrix. I'm Ken. Oh, yeah. There is a matrix. And it's cultural. It's powerful. And you need to know how it's affecting your ability to live the way you want to live, the way you to work the way you want to work. In other words, to truly be free and live and work in the way that you desire. And boy, oh boy, do we have a lot to unpack today. Whoa. Uh, I'm going to tease this a little more, Alex. It's coming up. We have just we have disruptions. We have tensions across the globe all coming down to tensions about work and money. By the way, tensions around work and money are always the epicenter of all social unrest. And we're sitting on a powder keg, folks. I'll break it down. But first, how about you? You're unsatisfied. Now, uh, this construct that I'm going to give you will work for any area of your life. Obviously, I'm focusing on work uh, and, and, and money and freedom. But this could be in your physical life, your social relationship life, uh, any area of your life where you feel restless because there's a lack of satisfaction. So I want you to get this because this is going to help you. So let's just look at all of us. Let's just look at the human condition and let's just think to a time and, and and even if we're in a season right now where there's an area of our life where we're not satisfied. I mean, that's all of us. We're aware of this tension. We may not be able to immediately identify the specific source. In other words, you may not be able to immediately answer the why, but you can identify the feeling. You just know. So when we're wrestling, and it's a wrestling match, let me let me tell you what I mean by the wrestling match. I I, I feel unsatisfied, but I start thinking about all of the things that could be bad if I deal with the satisfaction, the unsatisfaction. This is what happens. The heart's unsatisfied. Then the brain goes, whoa, relax down there, heart. Let's not do anything harmful. Let's not do anything stupid. It's what the brain's designed to do. The amygdala is designed to protect us. So the wrestling match begins. But we know that this dissatisfaction needs to be examined, explained, and resolved. Now, hey, there's your highlight to how we deal with this. What we really need to be doing in any area of our lives where we're unsatisfied is immediately go, I'm going to examine this. I'm going to, I'm going to, listen, I'm going to look at why am I feeling this way? This is what mature adults do. I got got to get deep. I got got to unpack it. All right, so I examine it, and I'm examining it so that I can explain it, and I can see the source. Is it a legit source? Is it not legitimate? And then finally, once I know what the source is of the dissatisfaction, 
and it is legitimate and must be resolved, I can now resolve it. So, that's what we should do. But you know what we most of us really do is that we just leave it unresolved because we go, oh, I don't want to deal with that. I mean, Ken, you just gave me three things I got to do, and it's not easy. I get my hands dirty. That's right. I mean, just think about relationships for a moment. Because this is the one where it's like the most awkward, whether it's a personal relationship or work relationship. Um, we, we, we're, we're dissatisfied with it, but we don't want to examine it because we have to examine ourselves. Plus, we have to ask the other person in the relationship to examine themselves. Ugh, that's nasty. We don't want to do that. And so what happens is instead of examining it and explaining it and resolving it, we ignore it and we distract ourselves. So you want to know why you're unsatisfied? Because you're unresolved. Until you resolve the source of dissatisfaction, you'll never move on. You will carry it around for a long time, and it's certainly a burden at minimal, but at most it turns into a true wound and it gets infected. It can eventually take us out. So why is it that we as humans, are so reluctant to dive into the source of our dissatisfaction. And I've got an answer, Alex, and I've never thought of it this way before, but I think it's the Matrix's fault. Again, certainly in the Western Hemisphere, here's why I believe that most of us won't dig into why we're dissatisfied. Because we've been conditioned to always have the answer. And when we don't have an answer, we feel dumb, we feel silly, we feel ashamed. Your whole life, folks, certainly in America, you get put into a system, and from the day you get in, they are conditioning you to be able to answer questions. Think about it. Hey, pop quiz today. Oh, are you serious? I got to do a pop quiz. You just taught us this yesterday. All the tension, the pressure. Think about it. Hey, got you got midterm exams. Got final exams. Got a test next week. Go do your homework. Go fill in the blank. You have been conditioned your entire life to produce an answer. You know what you haven't been conditioned to do? Ask questions. To dig but, but it's deeper than this because when we don't have an answer readily, our brain has been morphed. The matrix has taught us, if you don't have the answer, shame on you. You should have studied harder. You should have, should have, should have. And so you've been conditioned that when you don't know the answer, you're ashamed. Leo Tolstoy wrote, we measure the earth. The sun, the stars, the ocean depths. We discover new stars and know their magnitudes. Each day brings a new invention. But there's something else, the most important thing of all, that we are missing. We do not know exactly what it is. We're like a small child who knows he does not feel well, but cannot explain why. We are uneasy. Listen to this. Because we know a lot of superfluous facts but we do not know what is really important, ourselves. 
You've been conditioned to know the answers. And yet when you find yourself dissatisfied, you don't have the answer immediately. And instead of digging to get to the bottom of it and resolve it, we shove it under the carpet. And we drag it with us the rest of our life. Your dissatisfaction will haunt you. It will eat away at you like a cancer. And it can take you down to where you live a life that you regret all because you didn't have the courage to dig into your dissatisfaction. See, the matrix doesn't teach you to dig, to resolve. The matrix teaches you to medicate. Helping you get unstuck, unplugged from the matrix that tells you, oh, I'll just go for an average life after you get that average degree and average job. And it's okay to carry debt. It's okay to do a job that you don't enjoy. Just borrow some more money and make some memories. It's going to be okay. You don't. Listen, everybody hates Mondays. That's why we have Friday night happy hour. To drink our face off. Woohoo! This is the Matrix. You were created to fill a unique role. You were needed. You must do it. And when you're debt free and you're doing what you were created to do, you experience true freedom. Freedom from the Matrix. Freedom to live your life. I'm here to help. Hey, if you're enjoying the show, it's helping you, challenging you. I would love for you to do two things. If you were on YouTube, would you uh, subscribe to the channel? Uh, and would you share, if you're listening on your favorite podcast app, will you follow us and give us a five-star review? Uh, that'll help us grow. If you are someone right now who is experiencing frustration at work, maybe it's a toxic environment, maybe you're just bored out of your skull, maybe you got an idea that you're trying to figure out how to launch for a side hustle or start your own game, but you're not sure what to do, you need breakthrough, and I'm going to teach on the formula for breakthrough. Clarity, confidence, and courage. And I'll be taking questions live at our new event tour. It's called Breakthrough. Kansas City's coming up soon. You want to get your ticket if you're in the Kansas City area. Uh, even close, drive in, drive in. We've got a VIP option where I can spend time with you before the event. We're going to be taking questions live uh, as well after I speak. Kansas City, April 20th. That's the one coming right up. Kansas City, April 20th. Then Chicago, May 16th. Atlanta, May 18th. Dallas, May 23rd. Uh, tickets available at kencoleman.com slash events. I'm going to tell you something. This is not another event where I'm just going to get out there and speak at you and glad hand you. We are going to get breakthrough. I'm going to give you a t- tried and tested process that's worked for me in every season of my life as I have had to forge my path. Nobody handed it to me. And then we're going to break through by having people who are just saying, I'm here, I need help, I'm desperate, I need this, I'm going to ask a question, Ken, and I am going to dive in with everything I got, and we can go longer than we do here on the air. That's what the event is. Spread the word. It's a great gift. Maybe bring a friend. We have a we have a couple's offering that uh, we need to make it available to people who are just friends. Come on. So we'll see you there. All right. Isn't it interesting 
how work issues and money issues always lead to political unrest. Forget the politics. It's always about work or money. And and I'm going to explain. News out of Michigan. This is a PBS article. Michigan becomes the first state in decades, and and this is significant, to repeal right-to-work law. Now, what is a right-to-work law? Because you may know or you may not know if your state is a right-to-work state. If they are a right-to-work state, all that simply means is that there's a law in the books that allows uh, those in unionized workplaces to opt out of being in the union. So it, it it's like if I go work in a union shop as a welder and I'm in a right-to-work state and I don't want to be a part of the union, I don't want to pay the dues, I'm not interested in whatever they negotiate, I'm not in, then that's my right. Okay, And so I can say, no thanks, I'm not paying the dues, I don't want to be part of the union. That's all that means. Well, uh, the legislators and the governor, the Democrat legislators and Democrat governor, which again, this is no secret, uh, unions have always been a part of the Democratic apparatus. The Democratic Party has always been very supportive of unions. The unions are powerful lobbies uh, for uh, Democratic legislators. This is not a new development, okay? So, And, and traditionally, Republicans have been anti-unions uh, because they their position is we want people to get the right to choose whether they want to be a part of a union. And when you have unions, you begin to restrict a lot of things. I'll explain that in a second. Well, Governor Gretchen Whitmer uh, issued this statement Friday after signing the anti-right-to-work legislation. And I want you to listen in here because there's some irony here. She said, today we are coming together to restore workers' rights. Really? You're not restoring the rights of the people in your state that don't want to be a part of the union. You're restricting their rights. You're saying, you have to pay union dues. This is not my opinion. This is the legislation. Democrats have argued that the law allowed for free riders that received union representation without having to pay fees or dues. Without it, unions can now require all workers in a unionized workplace to pay fees. So you know what this is? This has nothing to do with workers' rights. This is actually restricting the rights of people who go, I don't want to be represented. And you're going, well, they're getting the benefits without paying the dues. That's garbage. You know what this is? This is forced fundraising. It's forced fundraising. Unions have become... Very powerful political organizations. So what's the potential downside for the state of Michigan? Because these things have economic impact, and you need to be aware of this. Because other states around Michigan have right-to-work laws, uh, the argument is is that this repeal will lead to Michigan becoming less attractive to businesses and will lead to forced union membership. Well, it's going to lead to forced union membership. That's what the legislation says. So. There is some distrust here uh, between union members, uh, non-union members, union leaders, and and workers that don't want to pay the dues. A lot of tension here. But that's going on in Michigan, and it's very interesting. I think you're seeing a rebooted uh, 
fervor, if you will, or passion behind expanding unions. We've talked about it on this program. So where's this coming from and why am I talking about it? Where this is coming from is a widening gap between the worker and the leader. And it's not just in the United States. Uh, Folks, this is a result of really weak and sometimes awful leadership for decades upon decades upon decades where people don't feel valued. And when they don't feel valued, they start to look for other ways to feel valued. And this is where unions get breath and life. Hey, the man's going to screw me, so let's band together to fight the man. Well, let me tell you something. It's expanding across the globe. I don't know if you're paying attention to the news. Let me just give you three quick examples. Uh, There have been French protests that I don't think have gotten truly violent towards people, but they're burning stuff in the street. It's scary stuff in Paris. Why? Because Macron, the president of France, recently said, we are going to force through an uh, an expansion of the retirement age. In other words, we're going to put two more years on it. So you can't get retirement benefits through the state, the government, for two more years. They're adding two more years of work. And what's happening? People are angry. They're headed to the streets. This is tension with work. These are not people who see work as something they enjoy doing. These are people who see work as a necessary evil. Now, how about Israel? Over a few uh, days recently, Israel took a big hit with a work stoppage that united business owners and workers against a hardline government. Um, And so it was kind of like, all right, we're mad at the government, so we're going to shut you down. We're not going to work. Spain is dealing with a huge strike. Um, Taxi drivers in Madrid walked early this year, protesting the uberization of the city. So all of this tension, here's what I'm here's the point that I'm making. This is turning into political tension. This is turning into social unrest. Why? Because of a work issue. People don't feel valued by their leaders, by government leaders. They want to be free. And this all comes down to how people are treated at work. We have a leadership crisis and it's about to blow up on us. It's time, uh, it is time rather, to coach some people. If you want to get coached up, happy to do it. Just know I'm going to bring it straight and direct. And it might sting a little. Alina is on the line in Seattle, Washington. Alina, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. Thank you so much for taking my call. You bet. I'm good. What's going on? So I have a question. Um, I've been working at a small construction family-owned business for 10-plus years, and there are seasons uh, where I feel so overwhelmed that my quality of work really drops. Like, I'm late on responding. I miss on some things. And I always wonder, is it 
me that maybe I need to uh, get maybe better skills for my job. Though I do feel I'm competent enough to do my job pretty well when it's not crazy busy, right, when stop. there's no interruptions. Stop. You just answered your own question. When you're not interrupted, when you are not added on to, in other words, piled on, you do quite well, yes or no? Yes. But when you are facing the metaphorical cabinet and all of the plates start to drop off slowly, one by one, one over here to the right, and oh, I got that one, and oh, there's yep. one on the left. And when I have to catch all yep. the plates falling off, I'm not so good at it. I tend to feel as though I suck. Is that what's happening? Just a little bit. You don't <laughs> yes, suck. No, a lot. <laughs> you don't suck. You don't need more skills. You need to find out why the plates keep falling off. And to the extent How that you, you can... Con- that? I'm on my way there. But I want to finish this thought. To the extent that you can solve for why the plates are falling off, then then you can fix it. But once you dive in and figure out if you are able to fix it or not, once you know that you can't, you have one option and one option only. To take it to the leader and go, I have determined why all the plates are falling off and I'm unable to fix it. I think I've identified a solution, but I need your help to do it. At which point we sit back, light a cig, take a puff, and wait to see how they react. Right? It's like, okay, I've done my work. You got to lead through this. What's Mm -hmm. the solution? And if they don't give you one, guess what you start doing? Brushing up your resume. Oh. The whole. Because you don't want to live like this, do you? Do you want to work like this? No. Having one good day, and then the next day, ah! and then and then I take takes me a day or two to recover, right? And it's like okay, okay, mm-hmm. I like half the day's good, and next thing you know, ah! and it's like what's happening? I can't catch all the plates. Like that's not any way to live, is it? No, it's not. Then you're spot on. How would you recommend going to find about? Why so many plates are falling? Like, what would be the process for that? Okay, so what's causing, what's the difference? What's the difference between uh, a a normal day where you feel on top of it and a day when you're not? Who's the source of the extra stuff? Or what? It's a who or what? What's happening when Uh you get overwhelmed? What is specifically happening? Tell me. Uh 50 emails a day versus uh, 75 or even 100 emails a day, uh, potentially. Uh, so it's all email-based? Email and also uh, customer service-based as well when customers come in to the uh, office and uh, or have to deal with fires and putting that out. So um, is this so a natural? Over the place. Okay, so uh, first of all, I can help you on the email thing. You're going to have to sit down with everybody who emails you if these are internal emails. Are they internal or external? external well you're gonna to have to start to manage stuff better uh i'm gonna tell you something that makes i think it drives people nuts here but they've learned to deal with it and i'm glad um i don't answer email on a regular basis and when i mean regular basis alex am i right i mean i might send about i'm not kidding you in fact in fact you know, let me do this really quick i'm gonna see how many emails i i sent yesterday let me pull up my sin items here. This is pretty fantastic. Because I sometimes I think people don't believe me. I'm looking at this right now. Do you know how many emails I sent yesterday? 
Anybody want to take a guess in the control room? Nathan says two. Uh, Alex says five. Uh, Joe, seven. Christian, three. Bob, three. Or zero. Bob says zero. What do you say, Alina? How many emails did I send yesterday? Two. I sent one. I sent one email yesterday. I may not get to that today. I train people how to work with me. You need to train people how to work with you. You should not be overwhelmed by email. It's laziness. People just think it's a check. I'm telling you, retrain people. Retrain them. Well, I uh, had a little fun with the the, the, the the tyranny of email, and that's what it is. Um, I want to set some of you free. I haven't talked about email in a while, but you know why you send email? Because it's so freaking easy to do, and you're creating more work for yourself and more work for everybody else. Hey, here's one thing for you. How about you have a conversation? How about you maybe set some boundaries for email? So we're having a little fun. The last segment, I, 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 I had the, the team... Uh, guess how many emails I sent yesterday. And I, the reason I love this, Alex, is because I really, uh, this is not like some act. And I didn't sit down everybody at Ramsey Solutions and go, hey, here's the deal. I, I don't like email. I just trained them over time because they'd go, I sent you an email three days ago and you haven't responded. I went, well, what do you want to talk to me about? So they talked to me and we solved it. I go, great, I'm going to go delete that email. <laughs> And uh, it's so freeing. And so I, I sent one email yesterday, one, four the day before that, five the day before that, and then I had another one-day email. Uh, Alex, I got to see if I can go through an entire week without sending one email. That would be a great week. And as you might guess, because I don't send a lot of emails, you figured it out, I don't read a lot of emails. But these I do. These are the ask at KenColeman.com. You want to get me to read an email? I'll read that email. By the way, for years, if you were to call my cell phone, this is what you heard. Hey, this is Ken. I'm sorry I missed your call. I'm not going to listen to your voicemail. Send me a text. That was it. Why do I want to go log into voicemail to hear you tell me that you want to talk to me? Just text me. Tell me what you want to talk to me about. I don't know if I want to talk to you. You understand what I'm describing here? I am not a time management expert. I'm a well-known and uh, 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 I admit it, I'm a disaster with details. And yet I'm highly productive. You know what this is? Freedom. I Your email rules don't apply to me. I'm free from your little email jail. I know people that brag about it. I can't go home. I just can't go home until until I've answered every email. Good Lord, you're in prison. I can't turn it off until I, I get all my emails answered. Ken, I mean, man, I got to answer them emails. Why? Set yourself free. Emails. All right, these emails I like. Because these people want to know something. Ask at KenColma.com to ask your question. Here we go. Charles recently uh, wrote in and said, Ken, I saw a clip of yours where you discussed quiet firing. 
that has happened to me several times, and I've been trying to figure out why. I've been very introverted, and I've always suspected that my personality is an issue. I almost never get into verbal altercations with people, especially my supervisors. What could be factors as to why some people get pushed out the door through tactics such as work overload? Well, Charles, I'm not liking the direction of the, that you're going with this because I think you're blaming yourself and and specifically you're blaming your introverted personality. I think that's unfair. And without knowing anything else, I'd almost guarantee you that you aren't being quiet fired, which basically means I'm being ignored, I'm being overloaded, I'm basically being forced to quit because it's such an awful experience that I want to leave, but they're not actually firing me. That's what quiet firing is called. Now, in this case, Charles, I don't think it's you being introverted. Because uh, you don't describe any kind of uh, issues where you're uh, churly about it and just kind of standoffish. I don't hear that. So I don't think it's that. I think you're a victim, in this case, of unhealthy environments to the extent that they're not telling you why you're out. There's no real communication. But you also need to look inward. And you need to go get some feedback from some of these other places and even coworkers. You need to be brave enough to go, what do you think the reason is is I was treated this way? And it feels to me like you don't have a lot of confidence and that you just kind of go along to get along. And I think they just keep piling stuff up on you. I'm not even sure that you've been quiet. Fired is my point. David writes in, I work for one of the big auto companies in Tennessee. A couple weeks ago in the news, it was announced they were offering employees voluntary separation. I would receive about 10 months of pay at one lump sum. I'm trying to decide if I should take the package or not. I got two weeks to decide. The deadline is tomorrow. The package after taxes would be 70000 take-home. However, I'm feeling fear of leaving a couple that I worked for so long and going out in the open market. How do I process all this to make a good decision? Well, you got to decide. Do you want to keep working there? Let's start there. But you're getting enticed by this buyout, and it's a lot of money all at once. So, I mean, your brain is doing the right thing. You're trying to process this logically. I don't think logic is the play here. I think we got to get real with ourselves and go, what's my long-term future? What's the next five, seven years look like? Where does this job fit into it? If I knew I had another job that I could walk right into, would I be asking this question? Can I go find something pretty quickly and pocket the 70K and come out ahead? These are the questions. But, but not whether it's right or wrong, just what's best for me? So... You're going to use logic, but not rely on logic for the answer. The heart's going to reveal, okay, where do I want to be in my life? If I were to take this and go work for somebody else, how confident am I that I can land that? I should be pretty confident. What what would I do? Why would I do that? That's what you got to figure out. Bill writes, and I'd love to hear your insight on this. Are business leaders aware? Do they notice signs that employees generally aren't happy and are thinking of leaving? With high employee turnover, shouldn't business leaders make solving this a number one priority? How fixable is this? I love this question. I could go for an hour on this. I'll do it quickly. I don't think a lot of business leaders are aware. I think they've got their head in the sand. I think they're unhappy. And I think they're just trying to get through the day. I don't know if you've ever been through a really hard day um, physically. My back is kind of faulty. Uh, it'll go out on me sometimes. And the team doesn't know about it unless I say something. But there are some days where my back is really hurting me. And I'm so focused on trying to 
get through that pain that I notice on those days, I tend to be less aware of everything else around me. I'm just trying to sit down without pain. You know what I mean? And I'm so focused on pain that I'm largely unaware of everything else around me. You know, I'm just a little bit like I'm there in the room, but I'm like, oh gosh, like I'm in the meeting, but I'm going, oh crap, am I going to be able to get out of this chair? That's what this is like for a lot of leaders. Um, I'll call leaders out, but I also want to be empathetic to understand that a lot of leaders are just trying to make it through the day and they're so focused on their pain. They're so focused on their discomfort that they don't see the pain of their followers. You show me a leader who is unhealthy and dealing with something, I'll show you a leader who's not aware of what's going on in the office around them because they, they just can't be. They're a divided focus. I don't think they mean to be bad leaders. I think they're hurting. So what's the fix? The fix is leadership at the top to start looking at people differently and say, these are not units of production. These are men and women that have lives. These are men and women who go through normal stresses outside of the workplace. It's my job to give them an environment where they experience very little stress. It's my job to create an environment where they feel cared for, where they feel like they have my attention. They have the resources necessary to get the job done, to, 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 to lead a productive life and, and, and experience well-being. But here's the mentality, I think, about work that we've got to overcome. That work is a four-letter word, thus you just need to grin and bear it. It's not my job to care about you. It's my job to make sure that you do your job. I don't care if you've got gout on your right toe. Get over it. Hey, I'm sorry that you haven't slept the last three nights because your kids got colic. It's tough. I'm, I'm serious. Like, like it's it's a there is a mentality among leadership, and it's been festering. Uh, around the world of work in this country from 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 the very early days of this that back in the day it was like I didn't have any options I had to pick something to do to take care of my family then as work evolves it was like well I gotta go to work just to be able to pay for my life it's never a place of well-being and it should be that's the fix this is the Ken Coleman show thanks for listening to the Ken Coleman show For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman.